at the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the earth, of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, sons, O oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So ends the reading of God's word. Children ages three-year-old through kindergarten now may be dismissed to Little Landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. What a glorious passage we get to sit in as Solomon sits in the bedroom at night with his children and teaches them from, Psalm, from Proverbs chapter 8, the glories of God that are here in this chapter for us. Before we're done, you will see that Christ is the wisdom of God and that Christ calls and beckons to every one of you here in this room to come and find life in Him. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I ask for your help to make plain this glorious chapter of Proverbs 8. Thank you for its power and its winsome invitation to see Christ as your wisdom. The wisdom that the world sees in front of them all the time but does not recognize nor give him thanks. God, would you draw us to Christ through the wisdom that's on display in Proverbs 8, just as Solomon is seeking to do for his children. 
And would you cause us to love and cherish this wisdom far more than we do and to be a people who live our lives, not just inside this building, but everywhere we go, saturated with the wisdom of Christ so that in every workplace, in every dorm room, in every kitchen, in every battlefield, in every website, we are a voice of Christ's wisdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you for answering this prayer infinitely more wonderfully than I could have ever imagined to pray it. Get me out of the way. Supply a better sermon to these dear people than the one I have in front of me. Through Christ and his transposing grace now by the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We love dedication here at the landing. Dedication is a big, huge Bible idea. It means to consecrate and set apart as holy. We do it for land or we might do it for our homes or our bodies or our utensils, but we especially do it for our children. And as children are dedicated to the Lord, parents say, I dedicate myself to raise this child in the love and admonition of the Lord. Well, that's what Solomon is doing in the book of Proverbs. We've already seen how he's fulfilling and obeying the command given to all the people who are faithful to God in Deuteronomy 6 to Teach diligently to your children all the truths of God and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You know sociological studies say, but the Bible is even clearer to say, that it isn't Christian camps or Christian Sunday schools or Christian schools. It isn't even the ministry of the church mainly. But it's really the ministry of dad and mom at home teaching and explaining and living out the Word of God for their children that is the most decisive force in helping children to grow up as believers in Jesus Christ. It's not that Christian schools and Sunday schools and churches are not useful or important. They are very, very important. But decisively, to help a person hit 18 and not want to bolt away from the church, but look for another good church as they may move off to college or elsewhere, or a spouse who loves and serves Jesus Christ, the most decisive factor is what Solomon's doing right for us here in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs so far, chapter 2, Solomon said, Seek wisdom for God's glory and seek God for the wisdom he supplies. That was Proverbs chapter 2 last week. Then in Proverbs chapter 3, which we'll return to at the end of our series, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he, the Lord, will direct your paths. Then in Proverbs 4, 5, 6, and 7, a woman is raised up, a dangerous, seductive woman. Be careful, kids. Be on your guard. This is how dads talk to their kids. I remember leading my son Ben at age 10 through Proverbs 4, 5, 6, and 7. And you feel it coming back on you as a dad and you long for the weight of it to get into your son and into your daughter. Don't settle daughters. Don't settle daughters. Read Proverbs 4, 5, 6, and 7 and find a man who's not familiar with the woman there. It's not just a warning to young men. It's a seduction to men and to women. Beneath all its various expressions that are rampant in the world and, and, and tempting within our own hearts, as we must admit, are three forces at work in those chapters. Deceptive power. I want control. 
I need to lie and be lied to so that I ultimately have what I want, what I deserve. Secret pleasure, no one's going to take my pleasure from me. I want it, I shall have it at any cost. And insidious pride, I'm worth it. No one treats me as I deserve. I believe in me. I will force everyone else to believe in me. Deceptive power, secret pleasure, insidious pride, that's what's beneath the person described as a woman in those early chapters of Proverbs, but now, blessedly, here in Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon places in front of his children another woman, as it were, a beautiful woman, a true and just and noble woman, a woman who is righteous and only speaks what is right and true, a woman whose words are more precious than silver or gold or jewels or any of the polluted and toxic pleasures that the world offers. We'll see, and my claim to every one of you, and you'll have to see if I can sustain and support this claim, is that this woman, though wisdom in grammatic terms is a feminine term and therefore personifying it will be a woman, it's actually the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. When you listen to Proverbs 8 and let it sink into your soul, Jesus is talking to you. That's what I'm saying. He says four things. Here they are. We're going to zoom right through this dense and rich chapter very swiftly before we come to the Lord's table. First, by wisdom, Jesus Christ calls to all. By wisdom, Jesus Christ calls to all. Second, by wisdom, Jesus Christ rules over all. Third, by wisdom, Jesus Christ creates all. By wisdom, Jesus Christ receives all who seek him by faith. First, Jesus Christ, by wisdom, calls to all. Did you notice that in verses 1 through 11? I just want to point out a few phrases that show how broad is his call. Does not wisdom call? Understanding, raise your voice. On the heights, every mountain calls out the wisdom of Christ. At the crossroads, every city where the roads cross over, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud to you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man, not just to adults, but to children. O simple ones, learn prudence, fools learn sense. I speak noble things, what is right, truth, no wickedness or abomination on my lips. What is righteous, nothing twisted or crooked. What is straight and right, precious like silver, gold, jewels, and far better. This is Jesus Christ declaring the wisdom of God from before the beginning of time. This is what You heard us pray about earlier in the service, it's called general revelation. It's the fact that in God's design of the world, all Christ's wisdom is on display. Paul said the same thing in Romans 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So Solomon himself wrote in his book about the preacher and the gathered people, the people of God. In Ecclesiastes, he said, he has made God everything beautiful in its time. That's the idea of wisdom. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
So you have this crisis, don't you? You have this glorious wisdom of Christ that's on display in the northern lights and in every rainbow and and in every newborn child and in every math equation that works out, although I didn't see many of those. And in every business that's selling a fair trade and in every physician whose treatment cures and in every home where there's unity between mom and dad and security for children to grow up in and in every beautiful, orderly, glorious reality that Christ has created, you have the wisdom of God. And then you have the entrance of sin into the world, which rejects God's wisdom and seeks to create a wisdom of our own, a a false and perverse and twisted wisdom, which is nothing other than foolishness. Yet eternity remains in the hearts of every man, woman, and child from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The hope is that by some miraculous, merciful grace, we who are given to toxic foolishness might be redeemed back to the wisdom of God and to live not only in harmony with ourselves and each other, but with the world God has created. That's exactly what heaven will be like. Not all of Christ's wisdom is on display in nature. His specific saving wisdom is on display in the Old and New Testaments of Scripture. There is no salvation under heaven by any other name than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by which we must be saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, Paul said to the Romans. But the wisdom that's on display in all of nature, beautiful and orderly as it is, is Christ's wisdom. Second, by wisdom... Jesus Christ rules the world. Now think about it. If he's the one who gives pilots the wisdom to land the plane and surgeons the wisdom to cut and heal, if he's the one who gives all wisdom to those who order our society so that they are peaceful and orderly, if he's the one who gives all wisdom to the building of structures so that they collapse not upon our heads, then he, by wisdom, rules the world to which he has declared his wisdom. Look at it. You can see it in verses 12 through 21. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign. Any king who ever did the right thing did it because Jesus told him what to do. And rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. This is a glorious passage teaching what we find explicit in the rest of the New Testament that governments and military and authority And all the structures of the world God has raised up and he has placed leaders over them, sinful though they be, and he has ordered them to lead and serve in Christ's wisdom. Christ rules the world through human beings by the wisdom that he has granted to the world. So in heaven we'll sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. All of the power and might that's wielded on the earth for good comes from Christ. It even proves that Christ supplies the wisdom when that good wisdom of Christ in his justice is violated. 
always in those violations, swift and sometimes long-term consequences accrue. And those consequences prove the wisdom of Christ's way. All of life is filled with severe and dangerous consequences when we reject God's wisdom. But those consequences, painful though they may be, are merciful. Why? Because they're evangelistic. There's an opportunity to find in painful consequences the grace to repent and return while there is yet time. Maybe the Lord's speaking to me and you even now in small or large things to say, in this area, it's going difficult because I'm permitting it so in order that you would see my wisdom lies elsewhere. Repent and return to me, says the Lord. You can go throughout the world and you can find that the spirit of the living God is in the world convicting the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. That's the very spirit of God showing how sinful paths of foolishness are a violation of Christ's wisdom. And all those sinful paths of foolishness result in severe consequences, mercifully so. So Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, whoever believes in him, God's son, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness. That's the foolishness. Rather than the light, that's the wisdom because their works were evil. If a person wants to continue in a path of evil and foolish thoughts or words or or uh, behavior, or emotions, or a job, or an activity, then they will go out to great lengths to cover over the, the foolishness that they're committing with darkness. Christ came into the world as light, but so many rejected him because they loved their evil works and kept them in darkness. So Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. What would happen to our Twitter accounts, or our Facebook, or Instagram, or our newspapers, or all of our media and the accusations that fly thick and fast, hour by hour, beyond which anyone can't possibly listen to or endure. If every person realized that the shooting out of an accusation is really the exposing of their own heart, it would shut it all down. Entire media would go out of business. All this flows from Solomon's teaching to his children here in Proverbs chapter 8. He's saying, fear the Lord, seek the Lord. Sons and daughters, go to sleep tonight as I'm teaching you the word of God before you fall asleep and ask the Lord to show you his wisdom and seek it more than you seek any other prize that draws your attention. Many in our government today and, and in the church today and in our culture today are confused as to the relationship between the church and the government. Here in Proverbs chapter 8, Christ plainly says, when kings reign, I am giving them the wisdom to do so. Romans 13 teaches that God sets up governments and he appoints leaders and he teaches them to reward good behavior and to, to supply consequences for sinful or evil behavior. That's so very plain. But it's also plain in the scriptures that the kingdom of God is not of this world. 
And the government's job is to set up a peaceable, quiet setting of order so that the gospel can go forth with power, 1 Timothy 2. In other words, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't go forward with tiny little pipsqueak tools like laws and taxes and militaries. Those are small little things. No, no. The gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward with the mightier powerful means of the preaching of the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, which cuts right to the heart, not just the skin. And doesn't require a tax or to be born into the right family in order to be in the kingdom of God. But all who come by faith are received. Praise his name. We dare not ever suggest that the government should be taken over by the church as a means by which the church gets its work done. Oh no, we have far better tools than merely the government. When men and women step into the government as believers, they are in fact citizens of another country and their allegiance is ultimately to Jesus Christ as is all of ours who are his. William Jennings Bryan, a hundred years ago, was a U.S. congressman. He was a three-time Democratic presidential nominee. He ultimately became Secretary of State, and as you may know, he was best remembered for standing up and defending, in the Scopes trial of 1925 in Dayton, Tennessee, the right of parents to teach their own children how the world was created. Man, I could use a Democrat like that. He said the Bible is a legitimate explanation for how the world was created in Genesis 1 through 3. It ought to be available, an option in the schools. Not just the brand new theory that has now petered itself out as absolutely silly known as evolution. Where did Williams Jennings Bryan, who was deeply entrenched in politics get such a steel spine, even to become famous and and well-respected for standing up for the family and for the Bible 100 years later. Well, one place he got it was there was a revival that he walked forward and gave his life to Christ to when he was 14 years of age. That's one place. He started his relationship with Christ at a very young age and continued walking with Christ all the way through to his death at age 65. A second reason came from this. I discovered in looking into some biographies on William Jennings Bryan that his father, Silas, love that name, my dad's name is Silas, was a Baptist preacher, and Silas, to his son, William, before William left for college, said, son, take the book of Proverbs and read it once a month for an entire year. It'll make you into a man of wisdom. Read the book of Proverbs once a month for an entire year. 31 days, 31 chapters, read a chapter a day. Do that every month for 12 months, son. William Jennings Bryan did just that. And he later said that was the most influential thing that guided him in all his decisions in his life and in politics. Does your conscience prick you and say, I want to see the wisdom of Christ in everything I do? I want to be in in step with his spirit in everything I do. I don't want to fall into my own flesh or my own foolishness or the foolishness that's perpetrated around me and pressed in upon me. I don't want to fall in even less to the devil's foolishness, which only wants to pervert and counterfeit the wisdom of Christ. Solomon is drawing us and the spirit is drawing us to say, make us wise, Lord, make us wise. 
I need your wisdom, not just for my precious wife and family, but I need your wisdom for this church, and I need your wisdom for Duluth and Superior. I need your wisdom for this nation and the nations of the earth insofar as God has raised us up and called us to be a pure, sanctifying effect on the culture around us. I am not afraid of the nut jobs out there trying to ruin the world. I'm afraid of the Lord coming back and saying, I gave you every resource. How did you use my word? Third, by wisdom, Jesus Christ creates all the world. And here, this is heights of glory that you must let yourself enjoy with sweetness beyond description. This is what many careful theologians called high Christology. The, the wisdom, the term wisdom is chokmah, it's feminine, it's described as a woman, but if you read with me carefully verses 22 through 31, let yourself realize that this is a description of what the second person of the Trinity was and is before creation. Watch this now. This is the height of glory in this chapter. Verse 22, the Lord, Yahweh, all caps, covenant Lord, says in the ESV, possessed, it's literally fathered or begotten. Begotten. It's the exact same word in Genesis 4.1. Adam knew Eve and Cain was begotten. It's the exact same word here. The Lord fathered or begot me at the beginning of his work the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then, 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 I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. This is the Trinity. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This is Christ preexistent to all creation. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. This is this, this paragraph I just read to you is why I've been using the name Jesus Christ throughout the whole message and why it's appropriate to see the personification of wisdom, even though Solomon surely did not have that in his mind yet. The personification of wisdom in Proverbs 8 is Christ. Now, vast interpreters hold this view. Vast interpreters can argue it far better than me. I simply put this glory before you and say, let the voice of Christ speak to you in this precious proverb, calling you back from any foolishness that might lurk in your life to the wisdom that he has both declared, rules over, and now created. You see, the reason why he declares wisdom to all the world in the, in the image of God upon us, and the reason why he rules over all the world and has a right to, is because he owns the world having been its creator. Christ owns all things and therefore rules all things. 
He's the wisdom of God, or as John says, the logos of God. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. Same vocabulary as Proverbs 8. And the Word, the logos, the wisdom, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Proverbs chapter 8, 22 to 31 is not just saying, God was really smart when he made the world. That's not what it's saying. It's saying his wisdom, his logos, is a person, the second person of the Trinity who was with him creating the world. So the writer of Hebrews unfolds it for us similarly long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Paul then would later say to Timothy, in his second letter to Timothy, you need to remember, Timothy, how your mother and your grandmother spoke to you. They unfolded to you the whole Old Testament scriptures called the sacred writings, including surely Proverbs chapter 8. Surely what William Jennings Bryan, father Silas, told him, your mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, told you, Timothy, to meditate on Proverbs chapter 8 among the whole Old Testament for the Old Testament scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation in Jesus Christ. There is a pressure, there's a burden, there's a, there's a weight on us as parents, isn't there? Grandparents, spiritual parents, and, and, and new parents, there's a weight on us to say, I don't want my kid just to say yes to agree to, to God gospel doctrine questions when they're little and then completely lose all interest when they're a teenager and cut loose from the church when they're in their 20s. I don't want that. There's no guarantees. We stand before you and, and, and we must agree among ourselves. There's no guarantees. God will move in our children in his timing and in his ways. And there's all grace for those of us who feel like we look back at our parenting and, and feel like we've blown it. All grace to us because Solomon was not teaching his children because he was a righteous man. Goodness sakes. But his dad, David, wasn't any better. And when you look at the whole Old Testament saints, they're all idiots. Just like me. We have to have a God who's got a plan of wisdom for our kids that's bigger than what we can come up with. Bigger than what we deserve. Bigger than what we can figure out. Bigger than what we can enact in our own power. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be Christ-sized. It's got to be God-sized, Holy Spirit-sized, gospel-sized, eternity-sized. And that's what we have. That's what Proverbs 8 commends to us. So finally, by wisdom, Jesus Christ receives all who seek him. Look at this final set of sweet words, and I want to show you just one specifically. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed, blessed are those who keep my ways. Not, not well paid, not getting a good salary, not adequately compensated, but richly blessed beyond what you deserve, sons. 
Blessed are those who keep my ways, says the Lord. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. First time that word shows up. It's one of the rare words shows up in Proverbs only a few times. It's in Hebrew, ratzon. It means everything's okay because a debt has been paid. Everything's okay because a debt has been paid. Literally, it means everything is delight because a debt has been paid. Here's redemption. Here's the cross. Here's the Lord's table. Here's the glory of the gospel in one beautiful little word that's very easy to overlook. It's just the word favor. Ratzon in Hebrew. Everything is delight because a debt has been paid. Jesus said in his prayer, and this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 1 verse 4, the gospel writer says in the beginning, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Bible is radically Christ-centered, radically gospel-centered. Solomon, though he does not know the descendant that will come through his line and sit on his father's throne, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he knows that it's a person he's introducing his kids to. It's not just a program. A person. So Paul says to the Corinthians, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. I end with this passage. Paul said to the Colossians, Christ died on the cross, but his afflictions need filling up. They need filling out. So he says, I'm out preaching the gospel and I'm getting in trouble for it because I'm fulfilling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What possibly could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? It was the extending of the preaching of the gospel to far, far away places from Antioch and Jerusalem and Colossae, places like Duluth, Minnesota. The filling up of the afflictions of Christ that Paul is doing is the carrying out of this wisdom restoration project where by the gospel as it is preached, Christ is drawing back to himself fools who will turn from foolishness in order that they might be made wise. So Paul says just a few verses later, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, turn from your foolishness and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Yes, I'm suggesting that if someone does not know Jesus Christ in a saving way, they do not know the fullness of God's wisdom. Let me say it this way. If an unbeliever, someone who has rejected Christ, sees from afar, externally and outside themselves, a wise idea and adopts it, whether they know it or not, they're recognizing Christ in that idea of wisdom but they do not know him personally. They're only borrowing from Christ. And oh, the debt they owe him, but refuse to give him in thanksgiving. Every time an unbeliever who's rejected Christ lives in and benefits from the wisdom of Christ he's put into this world, his debt rises higher before a living God. Know that. Every time a believer in Jesus Christ, one who comes to the table and remembers the body and the blood of Christ and says, 
I was a fool before I knew you, Christ. But you saved me. You gave me your wisdom. And now I live by the grace and strength that you supply every day. And I'm happy to say my debt rises before you. Yet you've paid it all for me. I invite you to this table as a believer. Don't come to the table if you're not a believer. Let the the elements pass by you as they're being served by the elders. Come to this table as a believer. Come remember how Christ has made your foolishness into wisdom, how he has received you just like Solomon enjoined upon his children and the Spirit has enjoined upon us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wise way you've created the world and, Lord Jesus, the way you rule over it and for how you freely and widely disseminated it in all the way the world has been made, including the image of God on human beings. Thank you that even though we have made hash of the wise world you've given, you have redeemed us out of our foolishness and sin through your death and resurrection. And in the cross, we see the apex of your wisdom. We see the very height and the zenith of your wise and gracious love, your favor, your rat's own, your settling of a debt so all things can be delightful. We come to this table grateful Because if it were up to us, we would have kept on running down a fool's path. You reversed us. You drew us. You opened our eyes to the beauty of your wisdom in Christ, and you saved us. And we give you all the praise and all the thanks and all the glory as you deserve. Now, Lord, set your people to prayerful meditation on you and your wisdom to see you in all the things of their lives and how you have orchestrated their lives to draw them to you. Let no one leave out of this room today or or out of the hearing of my voice unsettled and still dabbling with foolishness. Make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray. In his holy name.